0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. For those of you who have your Bibles here, welcome to open with me at uh, John chapter 13, uh, the famous chapter where Jesus washes his, dis- washes his disciples' feet. And um, for those of you who are visiting us uh, uh, or um, maybe who went at the camp um we've been talking quite a bit about community and how important community is. And if we think about it, um, I think all of us will see that community is important in all of our lives. Um, in fact, I think it would be very true to say that the quality of your life is directly, pro- directly proportional to the quality of your community. Okay, now I use the a mathematical term, they're directly proportional. <laughs> what I mean is the higher the quality of your community, the higher the quality of your life. To the extent that the quality of your community improves, to that extent the quality of your life will improve. And when, I, when we mention community, we're thinking of all kinds of community. We've, we're thinking of uh, family community, firstly, We're thinking of work community, we're thinking of the church, we're thinking of friends and friendship, all kinds of community. Uh, Community is more important to us than we realize, much more important to us than we realize. And in this passage, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he gives us a view of firstly, ideal community. In other words, what community ought to look like according to Jesus' definition. But we also see real community and the gap between the real and the ideal. Because even Jesus' community didn't live up, of his disciples, didn't live up to the ideal that he set for community. And then it also gives us some clues on how to bridge the gap between the real and the ideal. Okay, so we're just going to look at that very briefly. Um, I'm going to read from the NIV. You can follow on the screen or you can read in your own Bibles from John 13, from verse 1 to 21. It says, it was just before the Passover feast. And that's important uh, because John mentions this and he puts... What happens here in the context of the Passover feast and of the Passover meal, you're going to see that they, they, they actually have the Passover meal there, um, which, which obviously connects to the Lord's Supper. And, and we, at the end of the service, we're going to have communion together, uh, and, and, and we're going to see how those, those connect. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. There we see the the reality of problems in community, even in Jesus' community. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" And Jesus replied, "You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand." "No," said Peter. Uh, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you have no part in me, part with me. Then, Lord, Peter, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Peter was always all or nothing. <laughs> and, and and Peter has the very dubious um, distinction of being the only person in Scripture who has contradicted all three persons of the Trinity. (laughs) He contradicted the Father, he contradicted the Son, and he contradicted the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And every time he turned out wrong. (laughs) Uh, Peter, yes. I I, I love Peter. Peter gives me hope. (laughs) Paul intimidates me, but Peter gives me hope. (laughs) If the Lord can use Peter, he can use me too. Jesus answered, a person... Now that I, your, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now, before it happens, that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, or whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and whoever accepts Me, accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. And um, we we see here firstly ideal community as Jesus holds it up before us. And if we look carefully, we'll see that this is the ideal community we actually desperately need for our families, for our workplaces, for our church, for, for our country. This is, this is the kind of community we need. And it's a community uh, of mutual self-sacrificing love. And, and and it's so beautiful to me that Jesus here, you know, there's a lot in this text that, that I can't get to, but I just, I just want to highlight a few things. And one of the main things I want to highlight is that Jesus uses foot washing as a metaphor for love. The kind of love that should be at the center and the motive behind the communities that we are part of. Um... So it tells us a few things. If you just think about foot washing, the metaphor of foot washing, it tells us a few things about love, according to Jesus' definition of love. Because the problem is we have all kinds, in this world, we have all kinds of wrong definitions of love, as we're going to see. If, you know, Most people get their idea of love from TV or from the soapies or from popular media or whatever. And most of those definitions of love are not true love, not according to the definition of Jesus. So, here Jesus defines love for us as foot washing, which means that love is an action, not just an attraction. Love is an action, not just an attraction. Um, this world sees love as merely attraction. And we'll say, I, when the world says, I love someone, it, it, they actually mean I'm attracted to them, I like them. They look nice to me, or they make me feel nice, or I enjoy their intellect, or I enjoy their personality, or whatever. In other words, at the heart of that love is an attraction because of what they can do for me, and because of how they make me feel. So at the very heart of the love of this world, there is selfishness not self-sacrificing, self-satisfying. So it's a self-satisfying counterfeit love, not a self-sacrificing real love that Jesus portrays here in foot washing. Now, we see that in the fact that that, um, foot washing is an action, but it's an action of where you actually wash people's feet. Now, all the surveys show (laughs) that most people find others' feet the least attractive part of them, (laughs) You know, people's faces might be attractive, their bodies might be attractive, but their feet, not necessarily so much. <laughs> right? So, when we we talk, when Jesus, I mean, and most people's feet look pretty much the same, you know? And most people's feet, you know, after a long day in shoes, smell pretty much the same. <laughs> and it doesn't smell too attractive, you know? So, So, the point here is, that we serve people in the area in which they are not attractive to us. And we serve those who are not attractive to us. Not just those, we're not just those who are attractive to us and make us feel good. That's the kind of self-sacrificing love that Jesus demonstrates here uh, through washing feet. Um, so, you know, this is, this is not selfish lust. You know, the kind of, you make me feel good about myself. Many people, when, you know, typically, you know, a typical worldly young man who's interested in a young lady, when he says to her, I love you, what he really means is, I love me and I want you. (laughs) That's really what he means. Because what he's really saying is, you make me feel good. Because you're pretty, or because you're nice, or because whatever, and the reality is, all of us are susceptible to that. We are mere humans who tend to be selfish, even in our love for one another. Okay, and that's what Jesus challenges through through washing his disciples' feet. So, so firstly, love is an action, not just attraction. Secondly, love is humble, not proud. Uh, you know, to wash feet, Jesus had to get down on his knees. Now, you know, in ancient literature, we don't have one example, not one single example of a mentor or a guru or a master washing the disciples' feet. This is the only one in ancient literature that we have, because Jesus is the only master who actually does this. But it's more than that. If you look carefully, at in, in verse 19, he says, Um, I tell you these things beforehand so that when they happen, you will know that I am he. That's how the NIV translates it. Literally, the Greek says that you will know that I am. There's no he there. He says, I'm telling you these things beforehand that you will know. When they happen, that you will know that I am. And the I am there refers back to the burning bush of Moses. Remember what God said to Moses in the burning bush? I am that I am. Go and tell the Israelites that I am has sent you. And what he's, he's saying You don't fully realize it now, but you're going to get the revelation that I actually am Yahweh. I am the great I am. I am God. So here you have not only a master and a mentor and a guru and a disciple maker, a rabbi, going down on his knees to wash feet. You have God himself going down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet. That's why Peter was so freaked out when Jesus tried to wash his feet. Now, foot washing was was the most menial task there was. In fact, we don't realize, because our feet are generally, you know, even when they're a bit stinky after a long day of wearing shoes and socks, they're not nearly as stinky as those guys' feet were. Because they walked in the desert in sandals, through dust and mud, and when you walked into a village or a town, they didn't have the kind of sewage systems, you know, underground sewage systems that we have. So many people would just sort of throw the sewage, you know, out into the street and it would rain and it would sort of run down the street. So you walked through that. No wonder when you got into someone's house, you needed your feet washed. It wasn't only you that needed your feet washed. The other guests also needed your feet washed (laughs) because it smelled of sweat and dust and sewage. It was really dirty, okay? It was such a menial and degrading job that Jewish rabbis said, Jewish slaves may not wash feet. Only Gentile slaves may wash feet. That's how menial it was. Okay? And here comes Jesus, the ultimate rabbi, the ultimate teacher, God Himself. And He goes down on His knees and He washes His disciples' dirty feet. Humbles Himself. In other words, what He's saying is love is humble. Love is willing to do the menial jobs. Love is willing to... Um, in a sense, be so self-sacrificing that it sacrifices its own dignity for the good of others. And love is willing to humble itself to serve. Now, you know whether you're a servant or not by how you respond when people treat you as one, right? We, we all would like to say, okay, we, we're servants and we like to serve people and so on. But, but how do we respond when people treat us like servants? Do we respond in humility? I was once told by by a pastor a story of he was uh, driving up, I think from Cape Town to Joburg and in in some other place he stopped at a petrol station, and um, you know a, a a group of young men came up, you know, in a fancy car, um, and and they jumped out, um, and and they, they they were obviously a little bit drunk, you know, because they were very rowdy and, and noisy and so on, and 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 the the, the they walked past this, the one guy. The guy who had been driving, you know, walked past a, a old black gentleman with with sort of greyish hair and a, and a greyish beard, and he, and he said, "Hey, you! Um, I'll give you twenty rand if you quickly wash my car." And he, he, he sort of, uh, you know, he actually didn't ask him. He said, he, "He said, you know, wash my car, and I'll give you twenty rand." And he, and he ran into the shop and did some shopping and so on. And, and he said he, he watched this thing, and the old man sort of walked to the car. He, he got a bucket somewhere, and he started washing the car. Finished washing the car. Um, When the when the young man came out, and the young man sort of took out a twenty rand, he said, "No thanks, it's fine." And the old man walked over to his Mercedes, got in, and drove off. (laughs) That old man, I mean, he was no one's servant, and he he was this this young guy just sort of in his in his arrogance assumed he was some other poor guy, you know that. That was supposed to, and because he was black, obviously, as well, you know, you who know, could just wash his car. And he wasn't. But he had the heart of Jesus because when he got treated like a servant, he responded in such humility. Such humility. And that's the heart that, that Jesus wants us to have as well. Um, love is not just. Because here's the other wrong definition that the world has of love in our modern times, many people see love as tolerance. If people love me, they will never disagree with me. They will tolerate everything about me. And if people hate me, then they'll disagree with me and and challenge me on things. Many people see that as love. They they confuse love and tolerance. But, But Jesus says, no, that's a terrible definition of love, and it's Completely contrary to Jesus' definition of love. Because remember, He washes the disciples' feet. Now you only wash something that is dirty. So love is not saying, Oh, everything about you is okay. Love is saying I see the things about you that's not okay. I see the dirtiness. I smell the stinkiness. And I'm not gonna make as though I'm not gonna make as though it's not there and say, Okay, I'm gonna tolerate it. I'm gonna go down on my knees and wash that dirt away. Can you see what this metaphor means? Can you see how powerful this is? And can you see how this kind of love is more powerful than the facile, watered-down, tolerance kind of love that the world gives? You know, the more you love someone, the more you hate the evil in their life. The more you hate and are annoyed by the things that are harming them. You know, if you have someone in your life that's, that's a drug addict, and that's abusing drugs. You're not going to say, oh, I'm going to tolerate your drug abuse. If you really love them, you're going to say, I hate those drugs, and I'm, I'm going to confront you about your drug abuse, and I want you to stop because every time I see you less of yourself, it's, 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 it's destroying your life. The only, the, and the more you are indifferent to someone, the more you're actually going to tolerate the evil in their life. Tolerance is often a function of indifference, not love. True love is willing to confront evil and cleanse evil from people 's lives, like Jesus did when he washed the disciples feet um, and notice that feet are the part of your body that represent your walk, what you do repeatedly when you walk, you do the same thing repeatedly and it 's a metaphor for life. life consists of you know. The habits by which we do certain things repeatedly. Uh, Notice also that your feet are the part of your body that has the most consistent contact with the world, with the ground, the dust of the earth. Notice that your feet also are the most likely to get dirty when you walk around in the world, and that your feet are therefore the part of your body that are the most in need of repeated cleansing. Repeated cleansing. And when you have been cleaned, Jesus said you don't have to be cleaned again, but your feet. Constantly need to be cleaned, your walk. So when we wash people's feet, we are celebrating their life, their walk, the hope for their destiny, where they are going, how they are living, and we're trying to, uh, through our love, help them live better uh, and more like Jesus. Love also is vulnerable, not safe. Love runs the risk of rejection. It's, it's so beautifully symbolized by Jesus taking off his outer garment, basically partially disrobing and tying a, a towel around his waist, and then going down on his knees, a, a position of vulnerability to wash his disciples' feet. But the disciples also had to make themselves vulnerable by taking off their shoes and presenting their dirty feet to Jesus to be washed. So, so in this kind of love is a, is a, is a vulnerability It runs the risk of rejection. It's a vulnerability that invites vulnerability. But think if we had this kind of love, that is action, that is humble, that is cleansing, and that is vulnerable in our communities, in our families, in our church. What kind of communities would we be? One of my favorite definitions of love is by a theologian called Bruce Waltke, an Old Testament theologian. He says, love is being willing to disadvantage yourself in order to advantage the community. Love is being willing to disadvantage yourself in order to advantage the community. So that's the ideal picture, foot-washing love, that Jesus presents to us of community. But then there's also the real, represented by um, Judas Iscariot. Um, In in our real communities, uh, they they often look very different from Jesus' ideal, often more like Judas than like Jesus. Um, instead of self-sacrificing love, you have self-satisfying lust as the motive behind community. Uh, when instead of Jesus, we have um, ourselves at the center, like because that was the problem with Judas. Jesus wasn't the center of his community. He, Judas, was the center of his community. And our world encourages us to place ourselves at the center because that's what humanism is about. It's about humans being at the center, us having autonomy and having the right to decide and being at the center of our own lives and of our communities. Um, Werner Jubeil, um, who who is coming to preach here next week, uh, he's, he's quite a Survivor fan, and uh, many of you might have seen him on, on Survivor. And he says in Survivor circles, they have a certain saying. Because obviously in Survivor, they, they, you know, they, they video record everything, but not everything makes it to the, to the TV program. You know, only a very small portion of what actually happens on the island makes it to the program. Um, and he says, so they edit your, your experience. You know, Those 39 days or whatever you were on the island, they edit it. And they say they have a saying in Survivor, every contestant is the hero of their own edit. In other words, we edit our lives in such a way that we look like the hero. That's human nature. We tend to want to edit our lives so that we are at the center of it, just like Judas did. Um, It's it's normal human um, behavior. But selfishness at the center, rather than self-sacrifice at the center, is dangerous. Because here's the problem. Selfishness is a bottomless pit. It can never be filled. It's insatiable. It is. It is. It's never satisfied. If that is the motive with which, and, and, and hear me now, all of us, to some extent, have that selfishness in our hearts and have to constantly fight against it. Let's not point, don't nudge your wife now <laughs> and say, hey, honey, you need to listen now, you know. <laughs> listen for yourself, you know. In fact, let me put it this way. <laughs> Only someone who is so selfish that they don't realize how selfish they are will now point fingers at everyone else instead of looking at themselves. So let, let's, let's look at ourselves now, okay? But we know our own selfishness causes, it's a bottomless pit, you know? If, if I am selfish, no matter how much people love me, I always feel unloved. No matter how much people serve me, I always feel like people are letting me down and they're not doing enough for me. We've all experienced that in ourselves and others, where we've bent over backwards for someone and really served them and they sort of throw it back in our face and say, you, you've done nothing for me. You know, uh, teenage children apparently sometimes get to that place, you know. <laughs> My kids are not teenagers yet, and I hope. <laughs> but, um, you know, we all probably went through that to some extent when we were teenagers. But, but the problem is that, that, that selfishness cannot be satisfied because it's a, it's a form of, of lust. Um, Judas is a such a picture of this. Because if you think about this, Judas' community was the ideal community. He had the best small group in the world. I mean, Jesus was his small group facilitator, and the other apostles, you know, were his small group members. He had the best teacher in the world, Jesus himself. Okay? He had. He was part of the greatest ministry in the world, and he took part in it. When the when the disciples went out, when the apostles went out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, he had received the anointing, and he took part in it. It doesn't say, you know, it, it says that in that one portion in, in Luke's gospel. And they came back and they said, "Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name." It, they didn't say, "Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name." Us, you know, all of us except Judas. No, Judas was included. He had the ideal community, and yet it wasn't enough for him. Can you see the selfishness? He betrayed Jesus for money. And that's what selfishness uh, will cause you to do. And and selfishness will also cause, cause us to get offended. Selfish people get offended very easily. Because if we feel that life should revolve around us, and people should, people exist to say, we are the leading men and leading ladies, we are the main characters of the movie of life. And the rest of, 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 the, of the characters are supporting characters who are actually there to serve us, because that's what selfishness basically says. Then we'll be very offended when the supporting cast, you know, take the limelight. Or don't serve us, or make us look good as they're supposed to, because that's why we cast them. After all, you know, that's why we chose them as part of our community because they want, they need to make us look good, and then we get very offended when they don't. Selfishness is very easily offended. Selfishness especially gets offended when it needs to go down on its knees and wash other people's feet. So here's my challenge to you: How often do you get offended? How often do you get offended at people when you don't get your way, or when people don't do what you want them to do, the way you want them to do it? I think all of us sometimes get offended like that because all of us still struggle with some of that Judas selfishness in our hearts. And then, like I said, selfishness will eventually betray for for, for its own gain. Jesus betrayed Jesus for money. Now, it's, selfishness makes us little consumers, and the whole world is designed to reinforce, you know, all the ads on TV and on radio and, and on, on, on the Internet are designed to turn us into little consumers who selfishly desire more things for ourselves. And we're in very great danger as a church to live a form of consumer Christianity, which is completely contrary to what Jesus portrays here with his footwashing Christianity. And... Um, Selfishness, in contrast to true love, lust, driven by selfishness, self-satisfying lust, is willing to disadvantage the community in order to advantage itself. Self-satisfying lust is willing to disadvantage the community in order to advantage itself. Are we sometimes willing to disadvantage our families, disadvantage our churches, disadvantage our workplace, our country in order to advantage us? ourselves? Jesus' view of love challenges that. Then, in closing, just the gap and how to bridge that gap between the, the ideal community and the real community that we experience. If Jesus represents the ideal and Judas the real, then Peter represents sort of a transition between the real and the ideal. Peter started off much like Judas. He was initially unwilling to make himself vulnerable, and he eventually also betrayed Jesus for selfish reasons. So he's not that much different from Judas. Remember youuf sort of denied Jesus, even though he thought he wouldn't. And like Peter, we don't yet understand what Jesus has done for us. In other words, Jesus asked this question. after he watched the disciples feet, he sits down and asks this question, "Do you understand what I've done for you?" And I think to some extent, even those of us who do understand only understand that partially. some extent, we'll have to answer to that question, no. Lord, we don't really understand what you've done for us. Because if we really did understand what you have done for us, we wouldn't be living the way we are living now. We wouldn't be getting annoyed and offended as easily as we do. And our communities wouldn't look as they, they look now. So, just like Peter, we don't fully understand. If we truly understood, uh, understood we'd, we'd live differ- differently and, and Peter would only understand later it says he said now you don't realize but later you'll understand but even after the cross we don't always fully understand because he was saying you'll understand later because the cross will come and this foot washing is only a picture of what's going, going to happen on the cross so, so Jesus' foot washing points to the cross now as much as he had to humble himself To wash his disciples' feet, he had to humble himself even more to die for his disciples on the cross. It says in Philippians 3, he humbled himself. He became a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death. The most excruciating, most shameful death there was. To wash his disciples' feet, he had to take off his outer robe and put on a towel. In other words, he, he partially disrobed himself. To get crucified, he had to completely disrobe himself and hang there naked in public. As a spectacle to all. And it's only really in the cross that the full extent of Jesus' self-sacrificing love is revealed to us. When he departed from this world and went to the Father. But he did it through the cross. So the foot washing was only a picture that pointed to the cross jesus's ultimate washing of us um, and and here's the thing because we as human beings are needy, we need other people to make us feel good about ourselves we need other people to serve us we need other people to take care of us we, we cannot possibly get completely away from that love that is needy and that is hungry. You know, it's, it's, it's impossible for us as human beings because we are dependent and needy. We cannot love completely in a completely self-sacrificing way. We are incapable of it. We cannot achieve it. But that's why Jesus came and he did it in our place. The kind of love we were incapable of, he demonstrated on the cross. And he did it for us. So that when we put him in the center of our community, that community changes. Because there's a source to that community that is completely self-sacrificing, completely self-giving, and completely good. If we have ourselves at the center of the community, that community will have at the heart of it something that is not completely good, and not completely self-giving and self-sacrificing. Now, imagine, just imagine for a moment, a foot-washing Jesus at the center of your community, at the center of your family, at the center of this church. How would that change our communities? Because Jesus goes on and he says, you know, as he sits down, he says, do you understand what I did for you? Clearly, you don't fully understand But hopefully you'll grow in your understanding. But if I, your Lord, your your teacher and Lord, have done this for you, ought you not to do it for one another? If we allow Jesus to wash our feet and love us like that, then we will be able to wash one another's feet and love one another like that. Because that neediness inside us has been met. And those, that that hunger has been fulfilled. And, and that's how Jesus gives himself to us. You know, and it almost feels like you, you want to say to Jesus, especially when you realize that he is, I am, you want to say to him, Lord, what are you doing at my feet? Washing my feet, my stinking feet, through which I've trudged through the dung of this world. But that's where you'll find Jesus, at your feet, washing your feet. And then looking up to you and saying, now, go and do likewise. As I've washed your feet, wash one another's feet. Get your hands dirty. Humble yourselves. Make yourself vulnerable. Be self-sacrificing like I am. Um, And and that also leads to unity. So I want to read you a, a quote, and I'm going to end with this quote. Uh, by a, a well-known author. It was interesting to me. Um, someone posted it also on, on, on the leaders group uh, this week. A.W. Tozer. This is what he says about community. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are, in one, they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Such a beautiful picture. A hundred pianos, all tuned to the same tuning fork, are in tune with one another, are in unity with one another. The word community has unity in it. Come unity. But how do you get that unity? Not by trying to get into unity with one another, because we as human beings, our human hearts are too far apart, but by getting into unity with Jesus, by having Jesus as the divine tuning fork at the center of our community and all being tuned to Him and to His foot-washing love. And then we will be in tune with one another. Amen? You know, it says during the meal, Jesus stood up. During the meal, Jesus stood up and he started washing his disciples' feet. Now, in those days, you didn't do foot washing during the meal. You did foot washing on arrival. When the guests arrived, you washed their feet. When when the meal came, their feet were already washed. But Jesus intentionally did it differently. He didn't wash their feet on arrival. He washed their feet during the meal to connect it to the meal. We... We allow Jesus to, to wash our feet when we believe what he did for us on the cross. And when we receive what he did for us on the cross. And that's what communion is about, the bread and the wine. Okay? And I just wanted to show you just one little slightly scary story or part of that scripture. It says uh, in, in Luke's gospel and in John's that Satan, the, the devil, entered Judas is and put it into his mind to betray Jesus. And, and here's the thing: you will be spiritually influenced. Either you'll be spiritually influenced by receiving Jesus, or you'll be spiritually influenced by receiving something else, like Judas did. And communion represents receiving Jesus. I cannot live that kind of footwashing, self-sacrificing love, but Jesus in me can.